0: we're back in Joel. So Joel chapter 3, going back into chapter 2 a little bit just to pick up momentum there, but um, review of the book, a little bit of the book of Joel. It's to Israel in chapter 1, asking them, are they listening? And if so, pass it on to your children and grandchildren. Are you awake? Are they awake? If so, then mourn for the land And gather together, fast, and cry out to the Lord, chapter 1. And chapter 2, blow the trumpet, sound the alarm, repent, and turn to me, says the Lord with all your heart. Blow the trumpet to declare a sacred assembly with fasting and mourning and shame. Even everybody, the elders, the children, the babies, the brides, the grooms, the priests, and uh, all the inhabitants of the land, and cry to the Lord that they might be spared. And we talked about the locusts and the armies and the nations and the peoples that are coming up against Israel. And we talked about how the book of Joel is a, a um, multifaceted, with regards to prophecy, it had to do with what was going on there. But shortly into that, he starts using it as an example with the locust plague of what's coming. And talking about the army that is his army that he's going to send out. And some of the descriptions uh, you know, are paralleled with Revelation, Ezekiel. Daniel um, and Hosea a number of other books that talk about the great day of the Lord. And so ultimately the theme of the book is the day of the Lord. But through all of this, um, they are to know that he is the God of Israel. And the invitation stands to them to call on him and be saved. And and he'll restore his land, Israel. And so picking it up in chapter 2, Verse 27, just kind of backing up a little bit to get a running start at chapter 3. Um, 2.27, Then you shall know that I am the, in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Remember, all this is that they would know that the Lord is their God and is in the midst of Israel. And after all this, you know, all of this that's being judged for all that they had uh, Done, and they've gone into captivity in previous times prior to um, when they're gathered back now in these days. Um, he says, When he gathers them back, they'll never be put to shame. What an encouragement for us, knowing that we are partakers with that same grace and mercy and uh, love that the Lord's poured out on us and taken our shame, and we will never again be put to shame. So how is God going to deliver his people in light of the day of the Lord? And that's uh, chapter 2, 28, 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my uh, servants, and on my servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so what is the meaning of this event? Um, the words pour out are used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to have you flip a bunch tonight, so hopefully you can be uh, looking through scriptures here with us as we do this. Um, seeing how the words poured out are used. Um, Proverbs 1, um, 20 to 23. I'm going to read that with you if, you're, if you want to flip there. We're going to go to Ezekiel 39 and Zechariah 12. Proverbs 1, 20 to 23. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. But look at 23. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. And I will make my words known to you. So, one of the aspects of the being poured out of the, of the spirit being poured out is you turn at his rebuke. But and the reason, well, to make his word known to us. And so uh, we learn that from Proverbs one twenty to twenty three and Ezekiel thirty nine twenty five. Therefore, thus says the Lord God: Now I will bring back the captives of Jacob, and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. After they have borne their shame, and all their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, when they have dwelt safely in their own land, and no one made them afraid, when I have brought them back from the peoples, and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord God, the Lord their God, who sent them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land, and left none of them. Captive any longer and I will not hide my face from them anymore for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel says the Lord upon Israel after he gathers them into the land same as Joel what we're studying tonight in Zechariah 12 verse 10 says and I will pour out on the house of David and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication then they will look on me whom they have pierced Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Again, upon Israel, but notice the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they will look upon me, who they've pierced, and mourn and grieve as for a son. Remember, Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he when he was um, coming into the, uh, riding into the city. If you had known, even you, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace. And so they will, you know, he will pour out his spirit on them, a spirit of grace and supplication, but they will mourn. They will sorrow um, that they didn't uh, for who he is. Acts chapter 2 is, uh, again, 2.17 and 18, and Joel 2.28 and 29 we read already. It's uh, where Peter quotes this verse, but it's upon all flesh. So when he pours out, the words poured out used in the Old and New Testaments are used that he will pour it out on all flesh and that they will prophesy. And if you want to flip from there just over to Acts 10 and 11, in Acts 10, 44, 45, and uh, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured on the Gentiles also. And so now we see that the, the Gentiles, uh, it's being the Holy Spirit is being poured out on the Gentiles, um, to the astonishment of the believing Jews. I mean, this is a this is a new thing for them. Uh, that um, it was, in fact, let's go to eleven fifteen, um, Acts eleven chapter fifteen through eighteen. As I began to speak, now what he's doing here is he, he went up to Jerusalem. They called him to come up there and explain to him what's going on because they, they'd heard about what was going on. And, and he'd come up there with a bunch of other believing Jews um, and, uh, to, because these guys were concerned. We can't you know have Gentiles. How is that possible? This is our Jewish Messiah. But in 15 he says, And as, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and upon us as upon us at the beginning, And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could not withstand God? And when they heard this, these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So Peter recounts the event to the church elders at Jerusalem who respond with glory to God. But what is the meaning of this pouring out of the Holy Spirit? It refers to two things. It refers to the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of all believers in in, in our lives. And it also refers to the power, and it's used this way throughout the Old and New Testament, uh, for the the Holy Spirit for for boldness um, to witness to an unbelieving world and... For control over our own sinful attitudes and and actions, and then who's, who receives the holy Spirit and back in Joel, all flesh, sons and daughters, old men, young men, servants and had handmaidens, and so this is um, you know the meaning of of being poured up uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out, then he goes on in joel two thirty and thirty one the marvels that will occur in the heavens. And on Earth, destruction with blood and fire and smoke, darkness while uh, with the sun darkened and the moon turned red, and disaster as the stars fall from heaven and the heavens shaken, and distress with perplexity with the sea raging and men 's hearts failing them for fear throughout other scriptures, we see that's all part of this great day of the lord and um so there there will be marvels on earth, and you know we we may see some pretty amazing things just in nature and just in what man can do these days. But there will be a time when uh, there will be uh, perplexity and men's hearts will be failing for fear. And in verse 32, we see now, kind of where we left off last uh, Wednesday, we see God's deliverance. In verse 32, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said among the remnant, whom the Lord calls. So the subject um, we see is God's deliverance. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be delivered or saved. Isaiah 45, I'll just quote it. Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He shall not be ashamed, nor confounded, world without end. Um, John 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And for us, Romans 5, 8 through 10, I'm just going to read them. Um, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, will we shall be saved by his life. And then the subject in verse 32, we sang about it tonight, the the Zion, and specifically Mount Zion. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant who the Lord calls. The location of Mount Zion in Israel, um, is just south of Temple Mount. It's also known as the, the City of David. In, in uh, the days of Joel, uh, it would might have had a different topography um, because when the Romans came and, and leveled the city uh, 70 AD, when they would come in and level a city, they would send their slaves up to take a city down to the bedrock that it was on and scrape whatever dust they could could off of it. And so all of that city was then pushed into the valleys around. So the city went down a little bit, the valleys came up a little bit. And so today you have the Kidron Valley and all. Um, But it's it's, uh, certainly a little bit different than what it was back then. But Mount Zion at that time would have been um, uh, the city of David and, and that whole area. And they're digging down. They're digging down, and and I kind of wished I would have been there this year. That's the one thing I'd like to see is how, what the uh, the archaeologists are discovering as they dig down into uh, um, the city of David, right there near Temple Mount. And they found many things and coins and and rocks and stones and um, uh, seals that they'd use to seal wax for for correspondence and so forth. So what do the words Mount Zion mean? And I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you've got a pencil and you ought to write them down and look them up for yourself, it's a great little study on Mount Zion. It's the joy of the whole world, Psalm 48, 1 and 2. It's where God dwells, Psalm 74, 2 and Isaiah 8. It's the place God loves, Psalm 78:68. It will abide forever, Psalm 125, 1. Zion will be defended by God in Isaiah 4, 5, and 6. It will be the place where the Messiah will reign, Isaiah twenty-four, twenty-three, 23, and, and Micah 4, 7. It is the place over which the Messiah will fight in Isaiah 34. And this is what we're talking about tonight, the day of the Lord. Zion is the place for deliverance, and that's in Obadiah 17, so what's going on when all this happens in these days and in the context in the last days? And uh, there's a, a great little study here through the scriptures of what the Bible says is going to take place in the days that we're living in and the days shortly to come. So if you don't mind, I'm going to have you do some more, just starting right in Joel, do some more flipping. Um, what we're expecting to see at the great day of the Lord, and we'll be certainly gone and and. And watching this from the mezzanine, as they say, until uh, the Lord brings us with His armies. But at the at the end, but it says fourteen multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. In First Timothy four, uh, if you want to turn there, verses one and two. Again, the context of this is the last days and some of the stuff we are seeing, you know, we're seeing this. Some of this stuff we're right here right now. Um, now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in, in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So in the days we're living in, in the days that this is all going to take place leading up to the day of the Lord, it's very near. It's at hand he says. Some will depart from the faith, and they're going to be duped by deception. You know, uh, as scriptures say that, if it were possible, the very elect could be deceived. And how is that going to be possible? Well, if they're not in the word, if they don't know the word, if they don't have the bedrock where they can say, wait a minute, that's a lie. That's deception. I know better than that. I've, I know what the word says. It's so important for us to be in the word. And then right over next in, in 2 Timothy, um, chapter 3, Verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Oh, that's not happening today. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. That's not happening today either, is it? Slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, um, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Um, in Second Peter, just a couple more uh, books back, I can read it for you. Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, and then verse 10. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And Peter summarizing right there in one verse, um, Heavens and Earth passing away, where the rest of the scripture we're studying tonight deals with that day of the Lord, and and um, you know they're being called down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. They're being called to, to uh, where the Lord will sit in Zion and judge. Zephaniah paints a pretty uh interesting picture if you want to flip, it's not too far from Joel on our way back there. Um, Zephaniah chapter one verses 14. Um, through 17. This is going to be going on very soon. Um, The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There uh, There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess a day of clouds and thick darkness a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers i will bring distress distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the lord their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuge and this is what we're studying tonight joel chapter 3 so beginning in joel Chapter three, verse one, we begin for behold in those days and at that time, that's our days and our time because it's near. What's the, what's the, uh, the time marker for the days we're living in? What's the thing in the world that marks the days we're living in? Well, it's the Jewish people. They're back in the land. That's never been done before in history. It's prophesied. And in that day and during that generation, uh, these things are going to take place. Just a real quick uh, synopsis for uh, from uh, David Hawking. It's a book called The Day of the Lord is Coming. It uh, deals with Joel and also deals with a number of other scriptures, way more than I'm asking you to turn to. It's an excellent book if you're interested in this topic. And certainly, uh, you know, this is going to be coming soon, very easily in our lifetime, very easily in for the years out. Um, and, you know, when the Lord takes us home, these things are going to begin to take place when, we, um, when he gathers them together. Um, so, uh, the return of the Jewish people will mark the time. Joel 3, 1, for behold, in those days, and at that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. Note, it appears from biblical evidence that there will be two returns of Jewish people to their promised land, one involves the return of Jewish people to the land in unbelief, and it appears that that is the Aliyah, or Aliyah return that is occurring today. That would include May 14, 1948, until this day. But there are currently Jewish people from 185 countries of the world who are now full Israeli citizens and living in the land of Israel. These are the Jewish people who will be redeemed by the coming Messiah, for they will look on him who they have pierced. And however, it also seems clear that a Jewish return will happen again, and at this time it will be believers. Joel three one, quote, you know, quotes the Lord Himself, who says, "When I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem." Isaiah eleven eleven also says, "And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant." Of his people, and so David Hawkins makes note of that and and emphasizes that there because he says again there might be two um, separate uh, returnings of the people, and one is obviously taking place now. Legacy like since May 14th, 1940, to this day, and uh, you know every Jew thinks about it. I I was working up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in a, in a home. Um, uh, for a, a Jewish family, and I saw the Masuzah on the on the door, and when I went in and and um, sp- spent some time there, and I they actually invited me to stay for supper, and so I sat in ate with them, and they uh, you know things were talking one way or the other, and I asked, and I said to him I'd been to Yad Vashem uh, three times, and he the guy was taken back, you know he couldn't believe that first of all I'd be interested in Yad Vashem. And if you're not familiar, Yad Vashem is the is the uh Holocaust Museum and uh in Jerusalem. And it's where uh Oscar Schindler is buried near close to there and all. And and it's if worth looking into online. It's a, and if you've never been there, um it'd be good to maybe plan for next year. It's a it's an unbelievable, breathtaking, and sorrowful place to be, um, seeing what was done. But um and he was taken back and couldn't believe it because he knows and they wanted to and, and they think about it, making Aliyah, going back to Jerusalem. No, uh, there's obviously many observant Jews that would maybe believe that. You know, uh, There's many that aren't and there's many that are Jewish by, by blood and, but nothing else and they probably couldn't care less. I don't know. I'm not saying every single one. But you know what? Deep down, if they think about it, they know who they are. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be down in there somewhere, the Lord calling them and and starting to work in their hearts. Verse uh, 2 and 3, back in Joel of chapter 3, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. Jehoshaphat means um, God judges. And with them there, on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, They have also divided up the land. They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy as payment for a harlot and sold a girl for a drink of wine that they may drink. And so versus the Valley of Jehoshaphat, Yahweh judges. The reasons for the coming judgment of God upon the nations. First of all, number one, it says here that they scattered God's people. Number two, they divided the land and continue to try and divide the land and the land of Israel today, calling it the occupied territory. In other words, it's really Palestine. They just think it's being occupied for now, and they've got to fix that problem. And much of the world, in fact, if they were to have that same vote they had at, at the U.N. in 1948, uh, or actually it was back in, Bel- um, the vote was, yeah, final vote was in 1948, that would have been, um, it would never happen today. The world almost entirely, except for even in America, except for the rare guys like the one we have in the White House now, that are pro-Israel, and uh, doing all that they can to cooperate and coordinate with Israel. And, uh, you know, eventually that's going to turn because the Bible says that in the last days the face of every nation will be against Israel when he brings them in, in preparation for this time when he brings all the nations in to the Valley of Jehoshaphat to judge the world for what they did to Israel. Daniel 11.39 uh, speaks of the coming leader, the Antichrist, uh, which will seek to divide the land. That's how he's going to make his deal, try and make his deal. But the third reason here is the selling of children. And um, indeed, you know, uh, these people, just to get them out of the land, you know, um, and so forth, and the fact that they would uh, for, uh, sell a boy, sell a child. It, this has to do with children, not just sons and daughters, whatever age. This has to do with children. And uh, selling a girl just to to get drunk. Verses four through eight. Indeed, what have you to do with me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the coasts of Philistia? I uh, will I reta- uh, I'm sorry. Will you retaliate against me? But if you retaliate against me swiftly and speedily, I'll return your retaliation upon your own head, because you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried into your temples my prized possessions. Also the people of Judah and the people of Jerusalem you have sold to the Greeks that you may remove them far from their borders. Behold, I will raise them out of the place to which you have sold them and will return your retaliation upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah. And they will sell them to the Sabians, a people afar off, for the Lord has spoken. Sabians refer to a people out in the desert, far away from there. Now remember, he's talking about the last days, Right? So when he's talking about Tyre and Sidon and Philistia, where is that today? Well, that's Lebanon, right? He's talking about Lebanon. He's talking about the uh, Hezbollah. Uh, and where is Palestine, uh, uh, Philistia? Philistia? <laughs> that is, you know, Gaza. Uh, other parts of the scriptures it talks about uh, Akron and Eschalon. Now those are in southern uh, or southeastern, uh, southwestern Israel on the on the Mediterranean, but they're the closest major cities to um, the Gaza Strip. And so he's also talking about the last days he's talking about now. So who he's talking about? He's talking about the Palestinians, Gaza Strip. He's talking about Hamas. And uh, this is right here in front of our eyes, talking about the last days in these two cities, or three areas, I should say. So uh, also historically, the nations that had stolen their goods and sold his people just to get them out of the land that God had given them. Remember, this is also about the land. Um, Certainly God loves his people, but he gave his people that land, and that's tied to all of this. Um, But now he raises Israel back out of the nations, back into the land, and these others end up being sold themselves. So verses 9 through 12. Proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong, and assemble and come all you nations, gather together all around, cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there I will sit to judge all surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come and go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, well, actually I went a little too far. Let's uh, back up, we're going to do 9 through 12. Uh, The idea here is the rousing of the nations to come to battle, and the Lord himself is the one who's rousing these guys uh, to come in, all nations, translated, Gentiles or heathen. The mighty ones, uh, spoken about um, in uh, 9 and 11, actually, he's talking about angels, the heavens, right? The ones uh, gathered together all, your mighty ones, to go down there, O Lord, because he's bringing his armies. And so uh, very likely this is angels getting involved. And then he says, For there I will sit to judge all surrounding nations, now, the things that God and our Lord Jesus Christ are going to judge throughout scriptures, first of all, believers are judged in this life um, in First Corinthians eleven regarding our attitudes about communion, you know, partaking in an unworthy manner brings judgment in First Peter two and first Peter uh, chapters four, you know we talk about the suffering for the gospel is one thing, but if you're suffering just because you're sinning, well then You're you're being you're kind of reaping what you sowed a little bit as believers, right? And so suffering for the gospel and the trials also make us partakers of his suffering and the glory that lay ahead for us. Now there's also going to be judgment at the judgment seat of Christ, where we are going to give account of our lives and how we use the gifts and the talents that God gave us, and then we'll receive our rewards. And uh, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Now, there's also the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25 at the end of the tribulation when the Son of Man comes in his glory and gathers the nations for their treatment of his people. And the consequences are everlasting. It's interesting to see, you know, among nonbelievers, among the world, you think about them being judged for their sins, and yes, they will be. The books will be opened, and the book of life will be opened I guess I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but um, the judgment of Israel in Ezekiel 20 and Zechariah uh, 13, the standards of his covenant will be uh, applied where they broke his covenant, he kept his covenant, and he'll judge. These, uh, this is another judgment of the Lord. Um, rev- uh, judgment of the Antichrist and the false prophet, Revelation 19, when they're both judged uh, by the Lord. And then there's the judgment of Satan in Revelation 20:10. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20. He will open the books of their works and the book of life where they're not found, and involving the lake of fire. But it's interesting in the valley of Jehoshaphat at Armageddon, what are they being judged for? Just how they treated Israel, how they treated the land of Israel. And this is the, the context of all that's in Joel and all that's talked about when he talks about bringing the nations down to Megiddo. Um, all this begins when he gathers the nations together in the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's called the Valley of Decision, the Valley of Megiddo and Armageddon. Verse 13, uh, I read already, You know, talks about the ripeness of, of judgment based on the greatness of their wickedness. Let's read it again. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow with what? Well, their wickedness, for their wickedness is great. You remember when God told Abraham and uh, just before he made his covenant with him that you know he's going to have descendants, but they're going to go into a land where they're going to have to serve. They're going to be subject to this land. He's talking about Egypt. And um, he, he uh, you know, said that you'll, they'll come out of there with great wealth. And, and it wouldn't be until after four generations because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. Interesting. It could have been two generations. It didn't necessarily have to be 400 years. And all, so it's interesting how the Lord, in verse thirteen, this is when the wickedness of all this is ripe. It's ready. There's just no going back. Then the same thing with the Amorites until they Israel came out of Egypt, in uh, after four generations, and he he just literally tells them it's because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet complete. They weren't bad enough yet, I guess, or it hadn't come to the place where there's just no turning back. Um, this time, the wickedness of the surrounding nations is great. And to show that, let's look at Isaiah 63, uh, Revelation 14, and Zechariah 14. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6, when Jesus comes to judge and why he judges. Who is this? Who comes from Edom? With dyed garments from Basra, this one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save, why is your apparel red, and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them by my anger, and trampled them in my fury, and their blood is sprinkled on my garments." and i have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart wow and the year of my redeemed has come i looked but there was no one to help and i wondered that there was no one to uphold therefore my own arm brought salvation for me my own fury sustained yeah, my own fury it sustained me i have trodden down the peoples in my anger made them drunk in my fury and brought down their strength to the earth, Revelation fourteen, eighteen through twenty, It says, and another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, "Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe." And so the angel thrust in his sickle to the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great great wine press. Of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horses' bridles for 160 furlongs. It's about 180 to 200 miles, which is just about what the valley of Megiddo is. And um, Zechariah 14, uh, verses 1 through 3. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravaged. Half of the city shall go down into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And I, shouldn't, I should have put this in as well, but it says right there, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of the mo- uh, mountain shall be moved to the south. And speaking of Israel, this moves on later on into the tribulation. So this prophecy is partly about this judging and uh, the, his wrath, but also about when Israel, in the midst of the tribulation, will then be fleeing into what uh, is likely Jordan and the area of Petra. Verses... Uh, 14 and 15 back in Joel. Um, again, multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the Valley of Decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. And uh, the the realization that the day of the Lord has come, all of the world's going to see this. It's not just going to be happening over there someplace and a bunch of uh, you know talking heads on the TV are going to be showing it to us. It's going to be something where the whole world, the sun and the moon. Later we're going to hear how, well, right now in the next verse, uh, verse 16, the Lord also will roar from Zion. How can you imagine? Uh, We're going to be again with the Lord in heaven. We'll see it, we'll hear it. And I imagine if we can, we'll lift our voices with him. But he will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake But the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So God's making war with these nations. Um, Everyone will hear this and feel this because the earth is going to shake. Right in the next page, if you look at Amos 1, verse 2, it says, "Um, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. The top of Carmel withers. Mount Carmel, right up there by Haifa. And that again... Mount Carmel looks right over the whole valley of Megiddo. And you can see, um, uh, the, really from Carmel, you can see a lot of that, um, the whole area where this is going to take place. In verse 17 through 21, Israel will recognize the Lord. And so you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. And then Jerusalem shall be holy. And no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water and a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord and and water the valley of Acacias. And that's down towards and including likely the Dead Sea. Egypt shall be a desolation. Edom a desolate wilderness because of the violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. And I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. And again, wrapping up tonight, I'm just going to let David kind of sum this up. David Hawking in his book. The recognition of the Uh, of the Lord will be obvious to his people. Uh, The presence of the Lord in Zion brings the hope and the comfort of the Lord to his people. It says in verse 17, I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion for the Lord dwells in Zion in verse 21. The productivity of the land is a remarkable change that God's people will experience in verse 18. From the house of the Lord this comes out. And the punishment of their enemies will be executed by the Lord himself for the violence against the children of Judah because they have uh, shed innocent blood in their land. And the permanence of the people in their city is guaranteed, verse 20, but Judah shall dwell forever, Jerusalem from generation to generation. The pardon of all their sin will take place. And this is the King James a little better than the New King James that I just read for verse 21. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Zechariah 13, verse 1 adds, In that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So that's the book of Joel. It's about God judging in the Valley of Jehoshaphat the nations of the world for how they treated Israel. And their wickedness, He deals with that as well. And um, but there's salvation in the Lord. There's salvation for us. He pours out His Spirit. He poured out His Spirit on us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're born again. And um, as such, we have such a glorious future, uh, such a, a great hope. Let's pray. If you want to stand, that'd be great. Thank you, Father, for your your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we know that you're faithful to us by seeing how you're faithful to your people, Israel and the land to keep your covenants. Lord, if you were to cast them off like some tend to believe these days and the churches replace them, Lord, then how would we know that you're going to be faithful with us? But you by, for your own name's sake, have been faithful to Israel, brought them back. And so we can know that you're going to be faithful to us to bring us to that day. That we can come be with you, and we so look forward to that Lord, and pray you'd keep our hearts and minds on that day, you know, and thinking of the things of above and not the things of this earth, and just touching the things of this earth ever so lightly lord please ha- have us to to have your gospel in our hearts that we would be able to share and not not uh, hide it from anyone, but uh, as you lead people to us, whatever you put in front of us, Lord, I just pray that we'd be ready to share the gospel, we know that you desire none would perish. So Lord, we just keep us steadfast in your grace and mercy and love, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Megiddo, and you can see, um, uh, the, really from Carmel, you can see a lot of that, um, the whole area where this is gonna take place. In verse 17 through 21, Israel will recognize the Lord and so ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. And then Jerusalem shall be holy, and no alien shall ever pass through her again. And it will come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drip with new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the brooks of Judah shall be flooded with water, and a fountain shall flow from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Acacias, and that's down towards and including likely the Dead Sea. Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom a desolate wilderness, because of the violence against the people of Judah, for they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. And I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted. For the Lord dwells in Zion. And again, wrapping up tonight, I'm just going to let David kind of sum this up. David Hawking in his book. The recognition of the, uh, of the Lord will be obvious to his people. Uh, the presence of the Lord in Zion brings the hope and the comfort of the Lord to his people. It says in verse 17, I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, for the Lord dwells in Zion, in verse 21. The productivity of the land is a remarkable change that God's people will experience. In verse 18, from the house of the Lord, this comes out. And the punishment of their enemies will be executed by the Lord himself for the violence against the children of Judah because they have uh, shed innocent blood in their land. And the permanence of the people in their city is guaranteed, verse 20. But Judah shall dwell forever, Jerusalem from generation to generation the pardon of all their sin will take place. And this is the King James a little better than the New King James that I just read for verse 21. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Zechariah 13 verse one adds, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So that's the book of Joel it's about God judging in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the nations of the world for how they treated Israel and their wickedness. He deals with that as well. And, um, but there's salvation in the Lord. There's salvation for us. He pours out his spirit. He poured out his spirit on us. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We're born again. And um, as such, we have such a glorious future, uh, such a, a great hope. Let's pray. If you want to stand, that'd be great. Thank you, Father, for your, your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we know that you're faithful to us by seeing how you're faithful to your people, Israel and the land to keep your covenants. Lord, if you were to cast them off like some tend to believe these days and the churches replace them, Lord, then how would we know that you're going to be faithful with us? But you, by, for your own name's sake, have been faithful to Israel, brought them back, and so we can know that you're going to be faithful to us to bring us to that day that we can come be with you, and we so look forward to that, Lord, and pray you keep our hearts and minds on that day, you know, and thinking of the things of above and not the things of this earth, and just touching the things of this earth ever so lightly. Lord, please ha- have us to to have your gospel in our hearts that we would be able to share and not not uh, hide it from anyone, but uh, as you lead people to us, whatever you put in front of us, Lord, I just pray that we'd be ready to share the gospel. We know that you desire none would perish. So, Lord, we just keep us steadfast in your grace and mercy and love, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.